This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. There is nothing wrong with your radio. Do not attempt to adjust the frequency. We are controlling transmission. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limit frequency. Good evening, my name is Sam. My name is Ricardo. And this is the Outer Limit Frequency. Being one of the greatest musical movements of all time, grunge sure wasn't in the spotlight for long. After essentially being the scene that killed glam in the early 90s, by the end of the decade all but a few had either fallen out, fallen apart, or otherwise disbanded due to, you know, death. That mixed with the emergence of skate punk and the over-polished radio pop of the 2000s, grunge was being kind of looked at as a fad. However, the effects and influences of grunge are still felt to this day, especially in the desert rock scene and in the many genres that were essentially born out of the ashes of grunge. So while grunge may be all but gone from the mainstream, the essence of grunge has weathered, and whether you like the bands or not, it spawned what some of the biggest bands of the next decade. So, now we get to the episode proper and take a brief look at least at, at least part of the aftermath of grunge. Ricardo, are you ready? So what better place to start than with some people who managed to survive both the expansion and collapse of grunge? Because alongside Nirvana, Soundgarden were the undisputed superstars of the movement. When they disbanded in 97, everyone was wondering what was next for the individual players, but especially for frontman Chris Cornell. Shortly after the release of his debut solo album, Euphoria Morning, Cornell teamed up with another group of musicians whose world-famous band had recently dissolved to form the supergroup Audio Slave. And that's where things got a bit messy. You see, for many years, Audio Slave had been treated as little more than a punchline by music fans and critics. This probably has a lot to do with the weight of expectations from fans of both Soundgarden and Rage Against the Machine, which when combined were all but insurmountable. But this degree of criticism aimed at Audio Slave tends to overlook the fact they actually had some pretty good songs to their name, especially on their self-titled debut album from 2002. And from that album, this is Hypnotize, easily their best song in my opinion. Set your mind upon it I know that 
So yeah, we all know Nirvana, possibly the biggest band of the grunge era alongside Soundgarden, and without doubt one of the higher profile deaths with that of frontman Kurt Cobain. This is sometimes looked at as one of the major reasons grunge was going to pass fairly quickly, and in many cases, if this were to happen, it would spell doom for the rest of the band. However, in the case of Nirvana, they had a pretty talented dude behind the drum kit and a Mr. Dave Grohl, who, as we know, went on to front Foo Fighters, a band that I would say possibly became even bigger than Nirvana. While I'm not the biggest fan of Foo Fighters in general, I am a fan of Mr. Grohl, and and you have to respect him for going on to step out from behind the kit to becoming one of the most recognizable names in rock today. It's also pretty rare for a drummer to step forward and become the front man, especially without being, well, whatever you want to call Phil Collins. Dave Grohl took his considerable talents and charisma and said there is no reason to hide and became a legend in his own right. So this is All My Life. All my life I've been searching for something, something never comes, never leads to nothing, nothing satisfies, but I'm getting close, closer to the prize at the end of the rope. All night long, a dream of the day, when it comes around and it's taken away. Surprise at the end of the rope. All night long, dream of the day. When 
Sam, I think the last thing that modern radio needs is any more Foo Fighters. So let's now play a track from Dave Grohl's Probot album as a chaser. I remember this record being a big deal when it was released in 2004, what with the star-studded guest list and all, but nowadays not many people seem all that clued in about it. It's their loss, as this is easily the most fun and interesting record that Mr. Grohl has ever released. Yeah, I went there. If you have a problem, let's have a war. A red war, to be specific, because that's the name of the next song, and I'm bad at puns. And this also features former Sepultura frontman Max Cavalera.
whole post-grunge genre gets a bad rap, often for good reason. Matchbox 20 and Nickelback exist. However, there were also those bands that leaned into the labeling with arms wide open, but did something good with it. Like Blackstone Cherry, for example, taking that rather soulless version of post-grunge and chucking the soul straight back into it. Okay, so they made it southern. Really southern. While I certainly prefer the stuff they would do later... They went more blues metal. There are still those gems in their early grunge-influenced work, like Hell and High Water, for example. It's no blame it on the boom boom, but it's still pretty good.
while so many of these grunge bands had exploded, imploded, or just faded away, that wasn't going to be the fate of every band. Better than any of their contemporaries, Mudhoney represented the DIY punk ethos upon which grunge was built. And maybe that has something to do with the band surviving the 90s, mostly intact, as Mark Arm and the boys are still going strong. They aren't releasing music as regularly as they used to, but at least twice a decade you can count on Mudhoney to drop another slice of snarling fuzz rock through their ancestral home of Sub Pop Records. If this is a band you haven't thought much of since they released Touch Me I'm Sick in 1988, I would recommend their 2013 record Vanishing Point as an excellent place to get yourself reacquainted. And you can do so on this next track, Douchebags on Parade. I really like Mudhoney song titles.
of all of the grunge survivors, I consider Mark Lanigan to be the greatest success story when you consider how easily he could have ended up as just another tragic statistic. The former Screaming Trees frontman had his first taste of solo artistry all the way back in 1990 with The Winding Sheet. The album didn't set the world on fire, despite featuring Kurt Cobain himself, but things would pick up significantly just over a decade later. In 2002, Lanigan would find himself a friend and prominent guest of Queens of the Stone Age on their multi-platinum album Songs for the Deaf, which lit a serious fire under his profile as an artist. Bubblegum was Lanigan's first album since this collaboration, and the degree of additional confidence and swagger that the record carries is undeniable. It also doesn't hurt the album features PJ Harvey, as well as members of Queens of the Stone Age, Masters of Reality, Dinosaur Jr., Guns N' Roses, Afghan Wigs, making Bubblegum a veritable rogues gallery of alternative stars of its era. Mark Lanigan has managed to parlay his early success as a grunge icon into a legendary career as a singer-songwriter. And moreover, I just really like the Bubblegum album. This is 100 Days. Every day 
there is any one genre that is controversial among metal fans it's got to be new metal i mean that or metalcore but we're not gonna get into that right now but when you hate on new metal we're forgetting the many wonderful things it's brought us yes you have your limp biscuits your papa roach your mark tremonti band and your pod but you also have corn's system of a down early lincoln park and your mark tremonti band oh yeah and mudvayne Seems appropriate to talk about them here as they've just recently reunited, but man, these guys were cool. Despite frontman Chad Gray looking like the poster boy for all things new metal, they took that new metal sound and did something else with it, much in the same way that the bands that did it well did, and added in more thrash along with delving into prog metal from time to time. I can't quite tell if I'm excited or anxious to see what they do next, but for now, let's listen to Happy?
get down to the nitty-gritty of it, the story of Velvet Revolver is eerily similar to that of Audio Slave, with the key difference being that the bands the members had come from were somehow even more volatile. Which makes the fact that Velvet Revolver hung around long enough to release two entire albums quite extraordinary. I don't think many people gave the Union of Stone Temple pilot Scott Wheeland with the majority of Guns N' Roses much of a chance in terms of longevity. But as unlikely of a fit as these components were, they kind of worked for a while at least. When you have that many talented musicians put together, they almost have to make something worth listening to, right? I don't know. I've griped about this group a lot over the last 15-ish years, but I also begrudgingly kind of have come to enjoy some of it, because even broken clocks are right twice a day. And from their second album, Libertad, this is Velvet Revolver with The Last Fight.
despite Seether being a pretty big deal and steadily releasing what many consider to be great music, I just don't really get it. To me, they've always fit into that category of the kind of post-grunge that people tend to make fun of and accuse of being a watered-down version of what it came from. Sure, they have some good songs like Remedy or our next song, Fine Again, and albums like Poison the Parish, which are actually just pretty damn good in general, but they're just not very exciting. It's like they're torn out of the same playbook as Nickelback, but have built their entire act around being an ode to grunge. I know I sound like I'm being a bit harsh, but there are bits of it that I'm actually into. I like that they're genuinely trying to show that grunge and that kind of gritty rock will never die. It's just their particular sound is not my thing.
Sometimes the mystique and legacy of a band are just too powerful to stay away forever. Sometimes all it takes is a series of small miracles for a group to be resurrected in a new form. Because that was the story of Alice in Chains in the late 2000s. Alongside Kurt Cobain, Lane Staley is considered one of the most high-profile victims of the grunge movement. After his passing in 2002, it was all but inconceivable that the band could continue in any way, shape or form without him. To do so would run the risk of them essentially turning into their own tribute act. Isn't that right, Queen? So imagine everybody's surprise when Alison Chains announced their return in 2006 with new vocalist William Duvall and him actually being a good fit for the band. That surprise was magnified exponentially by the release of Black Gives Way to Blue in 2009, which would be their first album in 14 years, and it was also really good. This retooled lineup has gone on to release two more albums since then, but it's that first Phoenix-like statement that still hits the hardest all these years later. And from that album, this is Alison Chains with Your Decision. Time to change has come and gone What's your fears become your God It's your decision It's your decision
So if no one has picked up on my multiple hints throughout this episode, our final song is by a band that is often thought of as being everything that went wrong in the aftermath of grunge. They're made fun of for the vocalist's drawly way of singing, their rather self-righteous and hypocritical lyrics, and generally spoken of as one of the worst bands in history. But the thing is here, there's a big part of me that kind of disagrees. Because quite a few of the things that define this band could also be used to define many of the others we have already spoken about, along with some genuinely polarizing or terrible bands like Nickelback, Matchbox 20, Bush, Three Days Grace, and so many more. So why do people hate Creed so much? Yeah, all of the negative things you can say about them are kind of true, but you can't say you hate the forced drawl of Scott Stapp, but love it when Sean Morgan of Seether, or even the many, many grunge vocalists who did the same thing. However, he is a giant douche, so call him what you want. The thing that makes at least some of Creed passable, however, is the musicianship of Mark Tremonti. He's a bloody fantastic guitarist, so it kind of balances it out. Look, they have a few good songs, okay? What If being one of them. Enjoy, even if you don't want to. I'm starting to think that Mud Huddy song is about Scott Stapp. <laughs> <laughs>
after that, I'm not sure if you're still here, but if you are, you're, you're going to be here next week. Um, but in the meantime, uh, jump onto some of uh, jump onto Spotify and check out some of our old episodes. Bunch of them waiting for you. And since you're coming back next week, everyone knows that sequels in movies are rarely as good as the original, but sequels in video games are often better. Where does sequels to music stand in this continuum? Let's find out next week together. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.